Take your uh, sermon notes out of your bulletin, if you would, please. Uh, And if you would, find the map on page one of your sermon guide, if you would. I'm going to give everybody a test for a couple of minutes. So if you want to take a test question, raise your hand. Find the map uh, from your sermon guide on page one. Everybody find it? All right, so here's the question that we're looking at today. Question is, who accepted Jesus and who rejected Jesus in John chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4? Here's another way to look at it. Who honors Jesus and who dishonors him? Hit that next slide. Go back at one slide. Uh, There it is. So think with me for just a few moments what happens when we respect Jesus versus rejecting him. Okay? So in John chapter 1, all right, look at the map. Where was Jesus at the start of his ministry? Look at the map. Look up on the screen. Where did Jesus start his ministry? Ken? He started down in Judea. Where at? Judea. Here? Where was Jesus born? Right here? Where did Jesus live for 30 years of his life? Right up here. So Jesus, remember Nazareth? So Jesus is rejected in Nazareth. He lives there for 30 years and they reject him. Why? Anybody? Pardon me? Because they would not see him as God. They saw him just like everybody else. And they literally, and you'll see a passage in scripture in just a moment. So he starts his ministry. He leaves Nazareth. He goes up here to Sea of Galilee. He comes down, as Ken said, and he's in this area down here called Judea. Where does Jesus get baptized at, according to the book of John? Jordan River. Our group, when we go to Israel, we get baptized right up here south of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus got baptized right here in the Jordan River or down here. We don't know the exact spot, but somewhere in that area. So Jesus is not honored at Nazareth. Is he honored at Capernaum? And the answer is yes. He's honored at Capernaum. Is he honored down here in Jerusalem? In in John chapter 3, how did the Pharisees treat Jesus? How did the Pharisees treat Jesus? A guy named Nicodemus came at nighttime. The Pharisees basically is the reason Jesus left Judea. And in John chapter 4, Jesus decides to go right straight up here into what country? What What region? Samaria. Jesus could have gone up the coastal route. He could have gone up the Jordan Valley route, which is the way most people would travel. Most Jewish people would avoid Samaria. They avoid Samaria because Samaria is where uh, Syrians intermarried with Jewish people. And the Jewish people from the south saw that as a horrible thing. So they literally stayed away from Samaria. Jesus goes straight up into the rejected zone and he goes to this place called Sychar. 
On your map, there is a mountain in the middle of your map called Mount Garrison. If you'll find that, go to the right of Mount Garrison and put a Sychar. Jesus is at Sychar right now. And we're about to go from Sychar and we're going to go straight up into Galilee. So we pick up the story. Look with me at John chapter 4 verse 40. So when the Samaritans at Sychar came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with him. So obviously, if you're asking Jesus to stay with you, that you probably accept Jesus. You probably think he's okay. And he did. Jesus stayed with them for two days. Verse 41. Jesus hangs out with this crowd at Sychar, the Samaritans. Many more believed because of his... Those of you that like Greek, right above the word logos, L-O-G-O-S, that means because of his teaching, his preaching, his doctrine, the spoken word. They're starting to figure out he is the word of God, he is the living word. He is the person that changes your life, and these people discovered what we discovered over the last couple of days called sacred words of Jesus, verse 42. And they were saying to the woman... This is the woman at the well, the woman who had multiple husbands. Jesus purposely loved her, even though she had a very, very difficult past. They were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we pestuo, if those of you that like Greek, that's literally trust. You believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one, notice it's capital, it's referring to Messiah. Anointed, This one is indeed Jesus, the Savior of the world. Look at verse 43. So after two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. Galilee is that northern section of Israel. Sort of think of it near the Sea of Galilee. So he leaves Samaria, he goes to Galilee, and he eventually will end up in Cana, but not Nazareth. Why doesn't he go back to Nazareth? So look with me at verse 44. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So ladies and gentlemen, this is where we have to pause for a moment and I need to be very, very straight and blunt with every one of you. Jesus will help you, but you've got to accept him. The crowd in Nazareth did not accept Jesus. They dishonored him. So when Jesus says, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country, he's referring to Nazareth. Jesus avoids Nazareth at this time, and it begs the question, why? And the answer is found, take your Bible and go to Luke chapter 4, verse 22. Some of you have studied scripture and you know the answer, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So go back to Luke chapter 4, verse 22. Here's the answer. All spoken well of him in Nazareth, and they were amazed at the gracious words that came from Jesus' lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Now watch what happens. Verse 23. Jesus said to them, they're in the synagogue, Jesus is trying to teach them that he's Messiah. He reads from the book, Old Testament, Isaiah. He says, I'm God. Jesus said to them during synagogue worship, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, 
Do here in your hometown, Nazareth, my insertion, what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Verse 28. All the people in the synagogue there in Nazareth are furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town. They rejected him. They dishonored him. Took him to the brow of a hill. Nazareth is up on a hill. It literally has cliffs nearby. To the brow of the hill in the town which was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Verse 30. And Jesus walks right through the crowd and went on his way. So the hometown boy is rejected by his, literally at 30 years of age, by his peers and those rabbis in the synagogue. Everybody begins to turn against Jesus, and Jesus basically says, I'm not going to have anything to do with those people in Nazareth going forward. Verse 45. So he comes to Galilee. Somewhere up there, it doesn't specifically say yet, the Galileans receive him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. Verse 46. Therefore, he came again now, not to Nazareth, but to Cana of Galilee. Cana is right near Nazareth. Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there is down at Capernaum, a royal official. Let's call him a mayor or a governor. We don't know if he's Roman. We don't know if he's Jewish, but he has some high official in the government. But he has a son who is sick at Capernaum. Capernaum is on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Many of you have been to Capernaum. Do you see where Cana is? Jesus goes to Cana, he does not go to Nazareth, and it begs the question, why would Jesus, the Son of God, stop going to his hometown? So friends, at the shore of Sea of Galilee, there's a mare. He remembers that Jesus did a miracle of turning water into wine. He hears about the good news that Jesus is bringing, and he literally, watch verse 47, this governing official, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, this Roman official or Jewish official, this mayor, went to him. Now, friends, went to him really doesn't do justice. 20-mile hike from Capernaum up to to Cana. Not only did he went to him, he literally chased him, starts imploring him. Look at this. In the Greek, it's begging, come down to Capernaum and heal my son. He's at the point of death. So the son is sick at Capernaum on the seashore of the Galilee. Jesus is up in the mountains 20 miles away. It's an amazing statement what's going on here. You have a non-believer who is starting to become a believer in Jesus Christ, and he's starting to accept Jesus, and he goes searches him out because he needs a miracle to heal his son. Verse 48. So Jesus said to him, unless you people, he's saying it to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, signs in the Greek is simeon, miracles, you simply will not believe. So what you have here, no miracles, no belief in Jesus. That's what he's saying. You got to have miracles to believe in Jesus. The people in that day were chasing Jesus for miracles, not because he's the son of God. So they're slowly learning who he is. Jesus wants faith in him. Jesus doesn't want to go around giving miracles. 
He wants you to believe him. He wants you to trust him. Even when life goes bad, even when your son or your daughter is about to die. He really doesn't want to have to give you another miracle to prove to you that he is God. Verse 49. The official said to him, and this is begging, pleading, Sir, come down now, my insertion, before my child dies. Verse 50. Jesus said to him, go. Miracle's been performed. Go. Your son lives. And the man, pestuo, believed, trusted Lagos, the word of Jesus, that he had spoken to him, and he takes off. 20-mile hike from Cana, up in the mountains, down to Capernaum. But Jesus doesn't leave. Why? Why does Jesus do a miracle from a distance? Why doesn't he go to the child 20 miles away? Verse 51. And he, the father, is now going down. So he has put his trust in Jesus. He's acting out on his faith. And the slaves of this father meet him somewhere on the road. We don't know exactly where. Then they say, the son is living. So the father believes by faith, takes what Jesus says, that the son is healed, and he trusts him. Verse 52. So the father inquired of the slaves, the hour the son began to do better. Then they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what seventh hour means. You have two choices. It could be 1 p.m. Jewish time, or it could be 7 p.m. Roman time. The context doesn't really tell us what the time is, but it's either around noon or it's late late afternoon, early evening. It doesn't change the dynamics of the text because we don't exactly know if it's Roman time or Jewish time. Verse 53. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he and himself believed, now watch, and his whole household believed. You remember at the woman at the well at Sychar, Jesus leads her to believe in him. And what happens? Many from the town believe in Jesus. That's what God wants to do with you. When bad things happen, God doesn't want you to be focused on you. A lot of us are narcissistic and all we care about is show me another miracle. God wants you to get your head out of the sand, get it off of yourself, and realize when bad things happen, God is trying to do something more than you. He's trying to reach people around you. Jesus went after the woman at the well because he knew there were people in Sychar that he wanted them to believe. So he helps the woman believe so that she'll go tell others. And here, he wants the dad to believe so that his whole household believes. A lot of us are living our lives and we are the center of the universe. Everything rises and falls on us. My needs, my needs, my wants, my wants. And Jesus comes around, look, I'll take care of your needs, but I want to go beyond you. I want you to understand there's a world out there that's lost. The Samaritan people need more. We're living our lives and we're just so focused, I want the miracle. Why? Because our faith in God is shallow. 
So you have here in verse 53 a clear statement. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed, and his whole household believes. Look at verse 54. This again is a second sign, Simeon, miracles, that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. So what was the first miracle? Turning water into wine. Was that enough? Is that enough to keep your faith up? Or do you need another one? Well, obviously, those people need another one. So here comes the healing of a child 20 miles away. Now, when I look at this text and I do my research and I read my commentaries, here are six lessons that I get on honoring Jesus. Or you could put it negatively, six lessons if you dishonor Jesus. Six lessons if you accept Jesus. Six lessons if you reject Jesus. Number one. Jesus comes to help, but if you reject him, he simply says, I'm not going to help you. Everybody doesn't make it to heaven. We want everybody to be in heaven, but the only people that go to heaven is those who accept Jesus Christ. If you choose to dishonor Jesus, you're not going to be in heaven. What Jesus is trying to say here, look, the prophet has honor, but if you're going to reject the prophet... The prophet's not going to accept you. We live in a world very narcissistic where we think we can just command a miracle. Jesus doesn't do it that way. Mark chapter 6 verse 5 is an amazing verse. Can I ask you to take your Bible and and go to Mark chapter 6? I don't usually ask you to change pages in your Bible, but I'd like to ask you to do that. And I'd like to ask you to circle this verse in your Bible. A lot of us are living on emotions with our Christianity. And you've got to understand, you've got to live by faith, not your emotions. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mark 6, 5. Got it? It says here in Mark 6, 5, it says this, that Jesus could do no miracle there. There is Nazareth, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, And he, Jesus, wondered at their unbelief. If you're here today and you're agnostic or you're an atheist, can I just challenge you? What do you have if you take God out of the picture? You have nothing. If you take the Bible, what do you have? You have total chaos, anarchy in the world. The Bible gives us structure and boundaries in order for us to somehow figure out how to survive with each other. Jesus is God himself wanting to help us, but you got to honor him. Number two, faith in and honor to Jesus might, there's no guarantee, result in a miracle from Jesus. John 4.49, the Roman... The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus performs a miracle. John 4.50. Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. Now, listen to my heart, please. This last week, a teenager from our youth group died. That teenager is no longer with us. I don't know what that does to you. But all week long, several of us have been trying to love the family the best that we know how. And it's a horrible situation. 
grandparents come to church today and they're listening to this passage. Why didn't God answer my prayer that my grandson would be healed? You're probably here just like them wondering, how come God doesn't answer all of your prayers? I believe in God. I've prayed a lot of praise prayers through my life and God didn't answer them. And friends, the answer is, you're not God. I wish I could make it easier than that. But ladies and gentlemen, God knows best. We don't. And I talked with Paul and Chris after the service and they both gave me a big hug and they simply said, we needed to hear this story today from scripture. There are things in life you're not going to be able to change. And you're going to have to come to grips with it. You would like a miracle. You would like your prayers answered. But God says, I'm not going to answer it the way you want it answered. And you're going to have to walk by faith. He's still God. And Paul and Chris is still working through their faith. It's the hardest thing to lose a grandson. You're here, I'm here. We don't know what's going to happen this week with our life. I can't predict it. You can't predict it. But what are you going to do with Jesus when the bad happens? C.S. Lewis gives us some wisdom. C.S. Lewis says, if you need help, you have to have the power of God And to have the power of God, you must submit to the purposes of God. All things work together to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And God has a special purpose for all of us. C.S. Lewis says this, God made us. A car is made to run on gasoline. And it will not run properly on anything else. And God made you and designed you to run on God. God himself is your fuel. God will fuel your spirit. God will feed your soul. We were designed to feed on God. There is no other way, C.S. Lewis says. That is why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way if we don't walk by faith in him. God cannot give us happiness apart from him. There's no such thing. That is the key to history, C.S. Lewis says. Terrific energy is expended, expended, Civilizations are built up, excellent institutions devised, and each time a great civilization rises up, something goes wrong. Some fatal flaw always brings the selfish, cruel people to the top, and it all slides back into misery and ruin. In fact, the machine conks out, C.S. Lewis says. It seems to start up again, and run for a few yards, and then it breaks down. You see, they're all trying to run on the wrong juice. That is what Satan has done to us humans. He has deceived us that this juice can be used instead of God's juice. I will gently submit to you 
There are a lot of things that as I live my life, I can't figure it out. And if you try to figure it out and you push, 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 all you will do is become bitter and miserable. Faith and honor to Jesus might result in a miracle, but there's not a guarantee that God will answer your prayer the way you want him to answer. Number three, take your challenges. Faith in Jesus, go plead with Jesus. That's exactly what this father did, and you should. If that means you've got to go 20 miles and get on your knees, maybe at work, maybe in your bedroom, if you need to take an hour a day and plead, do it. That, but there's no guarantee. Number four, miracles make faith in Jesus easier. Uh, John chapter four, verse 29, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? God, Jesus told her everything about herself. That's pretty miraculous. The question is, how many miracles do you need to be a mature Christian? You need one more? You need 10 more? Number five, Jesus wants your faith plus the people around you. When bad things happen, stop looking at just yourself and remember God has an agenda to reach more people. Number six, anyone, number six, can honor and believe in Jesus. It's amazing. The Samaritan woman at the well, the government official, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, you, me, any one of us can believe, but you have to believe. Jesus didn't make you a robot, and he's not going to force you to believe the story of Jesus in Scripture. I find it interesting, John 4.39 says this, From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him. Because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. I would challenge every one of you here today, is that enough? Can you believe because they believed? Or do you need a miracle? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, please. With every head bowed, could you take a moment right now A miracle did not come to Paul and Chris this last week. And their hearts are broken right now. Could I ask you to pray for them? Would you take the next 60 seconds and feel their pain and go vertical to God? They just lost a teenage grandson. Would you pray for them? God, there's so much that we don't, we don't understand, but you do, and we believe. Sometimes it's hard, and sometimes it's with a lot of tears, but we believe. Jesus is who he says he is. God, thank you for sending Jesus to help me believe, help us believe. All God's people said... 